and welcome to Falter Ego episode 25. Um, coming out a bit later today, normally comes out in the morning on a Monday. Not that this affects you because um, you're listening to this maybe 10 years from now. So why do you, you don't care which day this came out on. Um, <laughs> this has completely changed my whole perspective 10 years in the future. Um, I was hoping to listen to a 7am sort of release time podcast. This is shit. Um, but yes, for those of you who do like to listen to this uh, at a specific time, uh, yeah, it's come out a bit later. Um, just because uh, children um, <laughs> in general, the concept of children, more specifically my one specific child, um, I don't know why I refer to her in the plural, maybe it's just because she has the impact of many children <laughs> on my general well-being, um, brought gastro into the house uh, a few days ago uh, last week and we're all a bit run down and I didn't have time to record this because I was just a bit flat out. Anyway, recording it now, so that's nice. I wanted to talk about something that popped into my head while I was um, meditating uh, about a week and a half ago, which was just the use of um, adjectives to help uh, avoid stress and increase uh, general well-being in reaction to adverse um, events. Sounds like the the most boring. <laughs> I want to spend this episode talking about adjectives. Great. Sounds hilarious. Hey, look, not everything that's important is funny. <laughs> that's why... So I don't do too much. That's why I've stopped doing stand-up. It's because the things I need to say necessarily translate to being on stage. Often what's funny is pointless and I don't want to waste my time talking about it, um, which kind of flies in the face of what is it? What is it Oscar Wilde said? Life's too serious. Life's too important to be taken seriously, um, which is kind of like, am I disagreeing with Oscar Wilde? I don't know. Important things are sometimes too important to be lost in a joke. Uh, you can explain things with humor, I suppose, but um, I don't know. I just, what, how am I going to go on stage and talk about adjectives? Anyway, um, just, just you're, you're mature enough for me to just tell you it straight without having to. Unless I say it with jokes, people won't listen. Oh dear. Well, that's unfortunate, isn't it? <laughs> if. What, what are we willing to listen to? We seem to be able to watch the news and clips on YouTube and Twitter about stuff that's completely not important and that's completely humorless. If you put on a news sting, bum, 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 da, dum, or watching some random clip people have shared on Twitter, or just reading some shit people have read on Twitter, an argument people are having on Twitter, don't, need to, don't seem to need a jokes punctuating that we consume that till the fucking cows come home wherever those cows are um they've gone on a long sojourn and we're happy to, yeah we just we're consuming all sorts of stuff that isn't funny but all of a sudden when you're talking about i don't know spiritual make it interesting fucking you make it interesting in your head commit <laughs> commit to just listening for a bit it's not my job to make it interesting it's your job to be, <laughs> it's your job to just put some effort in. Not everything's easy, you know, but that's the way, th that's the way things are going, isn't it? Uber Eats, can't be bothered cooking. It's going to eat this processed shit instead. Oh, now my bowels are inflamed. Wonder how that happened. Um, put effort in people. Jesus Christ. Um, but yes. So adjectives. I was, um, meditating and as is people's want in the suburbs uh they were doing some home renos some like i think possibly even hear some now in the background i hope i've got the noise suppression kind of on enough to cancel out but um the there were people doing renovations banging there's a dude uh he had a ladder out and he climbed onto his roof with a leaf blower and was blowing leaves off his roof. And it was really noisy. 
and I was trying to meditate and I found it uh, annoying that I, there was just this noise, this loud industrial level, you know, petrol driven leaf blower. And it kept pulling me out of the meditation because I was annoyed by it because it's annoying when you're trying to be quiet and someone else is leaf blowing or drilling or hammering or banging or whatever they're doing. And I only had a limited amount of time to do this meditation because, you know, I've got a life and kid, a kid, I keep referring to saying kids. Um, you are my children. Um, well, I got a bit culty, didn't it? Crikey alive. But, um, yeah, I've got a kid and work and blah, and I've got to cook and clean and shop and fucking tend to green spaces that are covered in weeds and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, well, I, I either meditate now or I, that's it for the day. I'm done. Um, so I, um, so it was a challenge. So what I did instead was I was like, well, why am I, why am I getting annoyed by someone leaf blowing? Let's look into this. Let's use this as the, the, uh, challenge for this particular meditation was why, why am I finding it annoying? Like it isn't intrinsically annoying. He's not leaf blowing to annoy me. Um, and then I thought also, you know, what about practicing some of the stuff we don't practice online when we're arguing with someone and, and all we can do is find their worst intentions and the, you know, the worst faith interpretation of what that person means and without looking into their circumstances or the story that went into creating that person. And I started meditating on the leaf blowing, specifically on the intention behind the leaf blowing. I started imagining that guy's life. It's like he's, you know, he's looking after his house. I know, I can, I know, I think, well, I've seen some young kids, um, sort of like eight, somewhere between like 10, early teens, I think. I think he's got a young boy um, in his as a in his family. You know, he's looking after the house. He's doing that because he's proud and he's trying to keep the place um, looking nice. You know, um, and if you have rotting leaves on your roof or whatever, you know, you get mosquitoes nesting in there, and it all gets a bit insecty and smelly. And he's 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 looking after his house. He's probably he probably does lots of things around the house. You know, he probably does tidying he probably tidied his tidies his son's room he probably you know sweeps and all this all so that his family can live in somewhere that's it's you know it's clean and relaxing to be in he's doing a good thing what he's actually doing is probably a source of pride for him and a source of joy and happiness um for his family even if they don't consciously um recognize that the house has been tidy. They get to be in a tidy house, which is nice. Um, and so I started thinking, you know, well done to him. He's doing a nice thing. And slowly through focusing on his intention and uh, his kindness, you know, he doesn't have to be doing that. He could just be lazy and let it rot, you know. Um, meditating on his kindness, I started, and I started wishing him well. I was like, well, that's a nice guy. He's doing, he's doing a really nice thing. And so suddenly by imagining the intention behind the noise, the noise became a source of um, happiness. And so I stopped meditating on my own breath. I stopped focusing on the breath going in and going out because I couldn't really because the leaf blowing kept annoying me or drawing my attention away. But it wasn't annoying me anymore. Now I actually deliberately focused on the noise and imagined everything that noise represented rather than what that noise represents to me, um, which was an interruption to meditation. But that's, that's just one way of looking at it. It could be viewed as an interruption to meditation. It could be viewed as the dedicated act of a loyal father and someone who's looking after their house and takes pride in their home and is, wants his wife or children or whoever to come home to a nice clean house. And so suddenly, yeah, by focusing on the noise, it brought up all these other associations. Um, and that made me happy. 
And so by the end of it, I came out of this, you know, 20 minute meditation, really happy because I'd wished well for someone else. Um, and rather than doing what I wished I could have done, which was slowly strip away my ego through a focus on my breath and looking inside to my thoughts, um, and realizing that there's no one there. I achieved an, an abandonment of ego through another means, which was wishing well for someone else for 20 minutes or 15 minutes by the time I realized I needed to shift my focus onto the leaf blowing, you know. Um, I wish this guy well for 15 minutes. I was happy and proud for this guy for 15 minutes. And, you know, I wrapped up that meditation not invested in myself. I was actually quite invested in him. <laughs> um, and finishing his, his leaf blowing. But what I realized coming out of that was just how quickly the brain um, labels stuff before you've had a chance. I say you, like this sort of conscious you, the the, the driver behind the, the, the fictional driver behind the steering wheel that we like to imagine is there and, and identify as quote unquote our, ourselves but actually isn't there. But um, the brain labels stuff before you have a, have a chance to intervene. And so the leaf blowing pops up and it's a noise. I mean, first of all, labeling it a noise automatically makes it seem annoying. Um, but you're aware, aren't you, before you've even really investigated it or had a chance to prod, you know, um, have a little prod into how your brain works. Um, you're aware that it's, that it, that it already has ascribed to it an annoying quality. It's an annoying noise. A leaf blower is an annoying noise. Um, but you don't label it annoying. It comes to you pre-packaged as annoying. That's weird, isn't it? That it arrives in your consciousness fully furnished with a descriptor of annoying. It's like, well, I didn't say it was annoying. Why is my brain making this decision for me? Um, and if you, if you, if you try to become aware of that, if you can't, if you make that part of a sort of a conscious focus throughout your day, you start to realize how often that happens, how often a stimulus, whether it's someone, I don't know, smoking on the other side of the street or, um, someone, you know, you see a, I don't know, customer in a cafe rolling their eyes at the waiter or something. Um, you see that you're, teenage waiter in barista or cafe, whatever, has a pimple on their forehead. You're like, ugh. So many of these stimuli come to you pre-packaged with a judgment attached to it. And they're predominantly negative, aren't they? Um, and that's, that's, uh, that, that's as you would expect from... Um, from an evolutionary standpoint, the human brain is primed to highlight highlight the negative. Aversion is a is a great survival mechanism, right? Because if you if you run away, if you if you're primed to be averse and judge things negatively, you're going to, in the short term, live longer because you will run away from the rope in the bush thinking it's a snake. Even if 10 seconds later you look back and you squint at it and go, oh, fuck, it wasn't a snake, thank God. Um, but if your primary, if your instinct is to run away from the thing that looks like a snake every time, the one time that it actually is a snake, um, you'll survive because you'll run away. So being... Being negative and judging things negatively first off is actually quite sound, quite a sound strategy from an evolutionary perspective. 
Um, whereas being drawn and attracted to things, attraction is is the less compelling force because it sort of, it, it really matters if your aversion instinct occasionally misfires because you'll die, right? Um, it doesn't matter so much if your attraction um, instinct occasionally fucks up. You go, oh, I don't, that's not a yummy berry, and you give it a miss. And then later you find out it was a, was a yummy berry. You know, our ancestors in the wild, you can, you can just about afford to skip food for a day. You know, what you can't afford to do is uh, walk up to snakes. <laughs> so it's much, you know, the things we're attracted to, if we, if we miss, if the attraction impulse doesn't fire properly, if we miss, if there's a delicious bunch of bananas or whatever, and we miss it, we don't even clock it, and our brain doesn't go, ooh, yum. If the attraction impulse is inaccurate or um, misses things, you only have to walk another two hours to find some more bananas, or you can even go two days if you missed it that one time. As long as you catch it the second time, you're fine. But if you don't really get a second chance with with snakes or saber-toothed tigers or whatever it is, you know, um, so the aversion impulse naturally is the predominant one uh, for good reason. So a lot, a lot of the stimuli that come into our modern brains we're, we're, is still operating on that principle. What can I, what can I find out is shit about <laughs> what's currently around me? Your brain is hunting for negativity because that, as far as your brain is concerned. Um, that's how you survive. The, the silly thing is, of course, now that we don't live around snakes and saber-toothed tigers. So when our lifespan was only like 18 years or whatever it was, your voice breaks and then you pop your clogs. <laughs> you just start, Mom, why am I getting a stiff... Why am I getting a stiff willy in the mornings? Well, that's called puberty, son. <laughs> Oh, he's dead. Um, oh, I nearly had the birds and the bees chat with him. You know, you're just old enough to procreate and then you snuff it. Um, when you're only going to live to 25, it's okay to be tense all the time because you just need to live long enough to pass your genes on. Now that we're living a, a long time, unfortunately, um, having that brain doesn't help us anymore because A, we don't need it because, you know, there's, there aren't, there's not saber-toothed tigers. Um, but B, also being constantly primed to spot the negative, being constantly aware of danger, even that's not when it's not there, the stress of negativity. Over a long period of time, you know, it causes inflammation. You're increasing your chances of heart attack, stroke, various cancers, uh, various gastrointestinal, like the, the link between stress and gastrointestinal problems is like profound. Um, again, I, I did a, that last episode was on the myth of normal and the, he, you know, Gabor Mate goes into a lot of detail on the, the, you know, the, the case studies of people who've experienced trauma or stress and now, you know, in their forties and fifties, just having horrific, um, gastrointestinal problems, Crohn's, like all these sorts of things. Um, inflammation, you want to avoid it, right? But unfortunately, stress increases. If you're stressed out and negative, you, you're causing inflammation. So, and you're not dying at 25. So this inflammation has a, a, a greater opportunity to roll the dice as many times as it wants to on your health. And so this negative, this evolutionarily charged negative mindset was a huge benefit, but now it's a bit of a, an unhelpful vestige of, you know, the environment we've come from. And so really what we need to do is counter that with positivity to kind of balance things out a bit. You want a bit less sympathetic nervous system, which is the flight or fight response. You want a bit more of the parasympathetic nervous system, which is often referred to as the rest and digest 
uh, part of your nervous system. So you got fight or flight, or fight, flight, or freeze, or rest and digest. You want, we want a bit more of the rest. We want a bit more of your body going, oh, everything's okay. I can tend to business. I can repair. I can heal. And so to bring this back to the leaf blower, I realized, yeah, that was coming into my head as, fuck, that's an annoying noise. And my brain looking for saber-toothed tigers had already labeled that for me before conscious me had had a chance to have its say. And when, you, when I really thought about it, it wasn't annoying. It was actually quite delightful because it was a person doing their best and doing something nice. And that niceness happens to result in a noise. So what I did the next time I was having a cup of tea with the window open and I could hear noise outside was I labelled it myself uh, without having to go into a whole meditation on why are they doing it and what's the reasons for it and maybe he's got a lovely family and really you know going deep in a med- into the meditative sort of uh, investigation of the noise because we don't always have time to do that and I wanted a quick solution and so in my head when I thought oh that's a hammer noise I just added an adjective and went that's a helpful hammer noise you know, that person is helping someone, you know, or that's a beneficial hammer noise, or that's a generous or a kind hammer noise. And so just by adding an adjective, suddenly this uh, ordered aural stimulus, not oral, aural stimulus, um, shifted category in my head. It was no longer an annoyance. It was the outward sign of someone's kindness, it was the outward sign of someone trying to improve their home. It was the outward sign of someone doing their best. And so just labeling it, you know, generous, kind, helpful hammer noise rather than just noise really helped. And, uh, you know, where I could have been pissed off and grumpy, I was suddenly happy. Where I could have been interrupted from my work and my brain firing up. Um, and then not able to focus on work again because now you're stressed. And when you're stressed, it's actually hard to focus. That's why kids, you know, who have abusive parents can get ADHD because they're so primed to be scared and on the back foot. It's hard to focus when you're scared. Um, you start scanning for threats. You know, you got to, you can't afford to relax and focus on one thing. You've got to be looking everywhere. That's why, you know, yeah, stressful home environments lead to kids who can't pay attention. And that's why when you're pissed off, it's hard to work, especially if, like me, your job is a creative one where you're having to think up stories and stuff. I need need my brain to be in that space for quite some time. And so um, where I could have been distracted from my work, A, by the noise, and then by the secondary impact of that, which is stress and all the chemicals that come and neurotransmitters that come with stress that prevent, prevent you focusing... I was happy and I actually was quite I kind of hummed along and kept working Um, it's not ideal I'm not saying I now need hammer noise (laughs) to get work done I now can't relax unless someone's doing DIY but if DIY noise does pop up just uh, don't let your unconscious mind um, or your you know what is it your amygdala the the sort of the fear response the stress response that kicks in before the conscious mind has a chance to have its say don't let that have the only say you're allowed to vote as well and so if if it's coming into your head as fucking drilling annoying drilling hammering crying baby someone next door having a disco whatever you get a say as well and if you just if you just pop an ad- adjective in front of it, you might you might just create enough of a crack in the door to allow, afford yourself a moment to not react negatively and, and your body starts getting charged up with shitty chemicals. And you might just afford yourself a bit more peace and happiness in the day. Um, and so I think that's... Uh, I'm, so I've, I, I'm going to try and do that as often as I can. It's hard, obviously, because when you do get annoyed, 
you do get hijacked, you know. And so it's hard to then bring yourself back a few steps uh, and broaden your perspective and, and look at things um, with that kind of like, you know, conscious attentiveness. Like what adjective can I ascribe to this? It's hard when your brain gets hijacked. When you're in the anger frame of mind, it's hard to think that way. But it's a muscle, isn't it? The more you try, the, the more you'll succeed at it and it'll become, it won't be as hard. So now I, I've, yeah, you know, just pop it. Even even if you stub your toe on a table, um, that's obviously not a positive situation. But the pain in your toe is your body helping you. It's your body doing its job. So even if the table isn't helpful, um, you can call it helpful pain, you know, rather than, you know. And also, and I've talked about this before, I mean, this is more of a mindfulness and a and a, um, a no-self sort of thing rather than a, an, an, an adjective thing. But if you bang your toe, obviously the pain is, is the feeling. It's not you. And um, I often find it beneficial to just let my toe do the hurting for me um, rather than me then also adding my, adding my take to it. There's a thing called... Um, Actually, just let me find it for you. Here we go. This 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 will relate to the um, the leaf blower and stubbing your toe. So I'm reading a book at the moment called I think it's Buddha's Brain, which is actually about a it's written by a neuroscientist. So it's um to how our brains work and uh, the impact of mindfulness on you know our general well being. Anyway, so there's a nice little section uh, called the darts we throw ourselves. And it's talking about, anyway, I'll just read it to you. First darts are unpleasant to be sure, but then we add our reactions to them. These reactions are second darts, the ones we throw ourselves. Most of our suffering comes from second darts. So suppose you're walking through a dark room at night and stub your toe on a chair. Oh, there we go, stubbing your toe. Right after the first dart of pain comes a second dart of anger. Who moved that darn chair? Or maybe your loved one is cold to you when you're hoping for some caring. In addition to the natural drop in the pit of your stomach, the first dart, you might feel unwanted, second dart, as a result of having been uh, been ignored as a child. Second darts often trigger more second darts through associative neural networks. You might feel guilt about your anger that someone moved the chair, or sadness that you feel hurt again by someone you love. In relationships, second darts create vicious cycles. Your second dart reactions trigger reactions from the other person, which set off more second darts from you, and so on. Remarkably, most of our second dart reactions occur when there is in fact no first dart anywhere to be found when there's no pain inherent in the conditions we're reacting to, we add suffering to them. For example, sometimes I'll come home from work and the house will be a mess with the kids' stuff all over. That's the condition. Is there a first start in the coats and shoes on the sofa or the clutter covering the counter? No, there isn't. No one dropped a brick on me or hurt my children. Do I have to get upset? Not really. I could ignore the stuff, pick it up calmly or talk with them about it. Sometimes I manage to handle it that way. But if I don't, then the second darts start landing, tipped with the three poisons. Greed makes me rigid about how I want things to be. Hatred gets me all bothered and angry. And delusion tricks me into taking the situation personally. Saddest of all, some second dart reactions are to conditions that are actually positive. If someone pays you a compliment, that's a positive situation. But then you might start thinking with some nervousness and even a little shame, oh, I'm not really that good a person. Maybe they'll find out I'm a fraud. Right there, a needless second dart suffering begins. So there you go. So second, first darts are the things that actually happen. Second darts are just the additional pain we cause ourselves by adding interpretation, unwarranted interpretation, judgments, etc., to these situations. So with the leaf blower, there is the noise. Um, the second dart is my adding to that by going, well, he's annoying me. Doesn't he know I'm meditating? Can't he? Doesn't he know there are other people in the neighborhood? Why is he doing it right now? 
oh, I'm never going to get to meditate now for the rest of the day. That was my one opportunity. You know, they're all second darts. Um, and same with stubbing your toe. Who put that there? Oh, my day's going to go shit now. That's the third time I've stubbed my toe this year. You know, fuck, why don't, why not I wearing my shoes around the house? That's silly. Oh yeah. Because my wife told me to put my shoes away. Now it's all her fault. You know, all these second darts. Um, so it's just not, it's not necessary, you know, but if you let, if you let your toe do the hurting that, I mean, the pain in your toe is the reaction to stubbing your, your toe, right? Your body is reacting for you. You don't have to do anything. You just let your toe feel the pain. Your toe's doing all the work. What you don't need to do is add on top of that. You know, you just observe the pain. The pain is the reaction. You don't need to consciously react with some random train of thought. I didn't put that there. Just stop it. Your toe hurts. That's enough. <laughs> just that, let, that, let that be the, all that's on your plate right now. Um, and same with the leaf blower. Just, if anything, I mean, at least be neutral. Yeah, don't throw the second darts. Why aren't I meditating? Blah, blah, blah. But if you can, you can even create the opposite of a second dart. You can create a, an, a secondary joy by looking into the noise. What, what does that noise really represent? Well, it represents someone looking after their home and doing their best for their family um, out of love and care. You know, imagine if we, imagine if no one was like that. Imagine the mess the world would be in. How grateful I am for that leaf blowing noise. Um, not that this is an open invitation for everyone to, you know, leak, do their leaf blowing at one in the morning or something now. Well, now that's a positive noise. I can do it anytime. It is annoying. <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> just to undermine everything I've been talking about for the last 30 minutes. It is, it's, 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 Less optimal than peace and quiet. But should the noise occur, just remember, I mean, it's going to happen anyway, isn't it? So you, what you, but what you can choose is your brain's interpretation of that noise. And again, pop an adjective in front of it. I mean, even create, even make it a challenge. What adjective can I put in front of the word noise right now? Because even asking that question interrupts even if you don't come up with an answer, right? Just asking the question is enough to halt the amygdala sympathetic nervous response in its tracks because you're now, because the sympathetic nervous system is unconscious, yet yeah, it's involuntary, right? So by asking that question and ask, inviting yourself to the table, inviting yourself to label that, what adjective can I put in front of this thing? You're, you're inserting yourself, your conscious self into what is normally an unconscious involuntary response. And you're maybe just creating enough of a crack in the door to make it not annoying and to not get annoyed before it comes into your consciousness preloaded with annoying noise. Fucking idiot. You're, you're injecting yourself into the proceedings um, and even asking the question might be enough to halt it. Um, and what's the worst that can happen? You know, what have you got to lose? You know, if you're thinking, oh, that all sounds like a lot of work. Well, the alternative is to go back to the way things were and be annoyed by things all the time and, and live not as long. <laughs> so... I mean, if the worst that can happen is that it sounds the same to you, then why not try something else? You've only got, you've only got, you can only win. I mean, it's not like you can go through that whole process and come out the other end and now leaf blowing is even more annoying. Oh, I accidentally did it wrong and now leaf blowing actually physically hurts me. I've actually made it into a physical pain. <laughs> now, now when I hear leaf blowers, I, I shit myself, shit my pants. And then for some reason I get on my knees and I eat my shit. I mean, what is this? <laughs> How did that happen? And it's involuntary. Like that's not gonna <laughs> that's not gonna happen. You're not gonna become addicted to scat <laughs> by doing this. 
Oh, that would be a weird meditation course, wouldn't it? Come for a three-day silent retreat. Benefits include decreased inflammation, sense of calm, happiness, generosity, empathy for others. Side effects may, (laughs) may include addiction to scat, scat porn, a taste for your own feces. Um, oh, I think I might give that retreat a miss. Is there a retreat where you don't end up addicted to eating your own poo? Yes, I'll go to that one then. Um, so yeah, pop adjective. I, it's you know, I'm not I'm not recommending this like frivolously. I I think it's genuinely a very neat mental trick. Pop an adjective in front of something when you sense it and see what that that does for you. I think it's. And do it for everything, you know? Anything that's annoying, just try and put a positive adjective in front of it and see what happens. Um, It's it's harder for things that seem objectively troublesome. Like if you're about to start a Zoom meeting where you're about to make a big pitch, If if this is in like, I don't know, TV world, You've got all your materials prepped and this is the first time the head of the channel is in the meeting and you know it's, you know, this is make or break and then your computer crashes. Um, That is annoying. But again, part, part of the reason it's so annoying is because you're projecting from the present moment into the future and imagining the consequences, you know? Oh, my computer crashed. So now they're not going to be impressed. Now I'm not going to get the job. Now they're not going to think the pitch is good, blah, 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 blah. Um, But in four days' time, none of that will have mattered. There will be a point in the future where that computer crash just hasn't affected anything. And it's so hard to remember that in the moment because you make it so significant in your mind. This meeting is the most important meeting I'll have in two months. I haven't had any opportunity. Does this sound like uh, this is coming from personal experience? I haven't had any work for two months. <laughs> I'm about to die of starvation and sell my kid. Um, this meeting has to go well. And then your computer crashes and it's just the most stressful, awful thing. I've had I've had that and I've had to really just go, okay, just, just remember in two weeks' time, this is an anecdote. Your current suffering is future use, retrospective, funny anecdote. And he doesn't care and he's okay. And, you know, sure enough, you boot the computer up, you manage to join the Zoom six minutes late and you say, fucking, my bloody computer bubble. And they go, oh, I know that happened to me last week. You know, they're all empathy. They all care. Nobody's there to chastise you for arriving late. You know, people generally understand. And so suddenly all that worry you had again was unnecessary. So if your computer crashes, just go... It's a temporary computer crash. You know, pop an adjective in front of there again, you know? It's a momentary blip. It's a a funny computer crash. How funny is it that right at the moment that I'm having this meeting, you know, put, you know, tragicomic computer crash, you know? It'll be funny at some point. At the moment, it's pissing me off. But it will be funny. You know, potentially funny future, potentially funny computer crash. Put it, put that in there. Just pop in the, even adding that in just gives your brain a chance, a possibility of interpreting it a different way. You know, it's like a buffet, you know, you're just putting a few different things on the table and the more things are on there, the, 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 the more you're increasing the likelihood your brain might pick up something that's good rather than picking up something that's bad. If you, if you let your sympathetic nervous system, your judgmental mind, your nervous mind, your amygdala, all of that, if you're letting that be the only thing that brings dishes to the table, then that's letting like McDonald's cater your birthday. You know, it's only going to be bad. It's only going to be bad for you. And we can't stop that happening because it's, it's so hardwired. But what we can do is even the odds. You know, you can bring stuff to the table as well. 
carrots and fucking tzatziki. <laughs> What's healthy? Uh, grapes. You know, and the more you do it, eventually the the ratio will be, you know, 50 positive things to one McNugget, you know. So just give your brain the opportunity to perceive things negatively. Um, You know, I had, I'll finish with this. I had, I had the worst time going, going home last year twice the first time to help my dad look after my mum not knowing that he was going to die four weeks later and then when I got home to Australia and then he died and I I went home the second time I mean both times looking after my mum were utterly crushing to a a degree that I'm still recovering from like I still have I'm still tired from that second trip in a way that my body hasn't let go yet. I'm not relaxed. I can feel I can feel my body has stored that up. It's almost like a ring in a tree now. It's just part of me. Um, and it's, it's taking a lot of work to unwind from the trauma of that. Um, but when, but nevertheless, when I was there the second time. And just the sheer impossibility of the everythingness that was happening all at once. Had a funeral to organise. I was trying to write a eulogy. I was having to drive my brother to care homes while my sister looked after my mum. And then when we got back, she would go out and look at more care homes. We'd look after mum. There was no rest, no relent. You couldn't take your eyes off mum for more than 15 seconds before something bad would happen. You were just on all the time. And then at night time, she would wake up and, you know, you'd find her in a state of distress at 2 a.m. When you need to sleep medically, you have to sleep because you can't keep this up. And, you know, she's, you know, she's done a wee on the floor and, you know, and she's, packing her bags and just it's just impossible it's actually impossible it's just too much and she's sobbing like a child and it's just more than I've ever had to deal with before and then you go you know finally you know it's just too much it's too much and you're doing it and you're aware that in three hours she's going to wake up again and then the day's going to start and it's all going to be the same again and you're going to be constantly digging and digging and digging into reserves that don't exist. So you're just into negative uh, levels of energy now. You're just borrowing from your own health, really, to keep going. Um, but the thing that helps is, is well, knowing that it's temporary, knowing that future you will be looking back on this and not just knowing that it's necessary like I have to do this. What I have no choice. And so rather than looking at it as, as, you know, this is annoying and tiring, you just label it, this is necessary. I'm doing the right thing. It sucks, but this is right. This is actually what needs to be happening right now. My mum has a condition. It's not like I have a choice right now to choose a healthy mum or a sick one. This is what I, this is what life is, and so I have to. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, uh, what was I saying? Sorry. Um, you know, this is necessary. So this is, you know, she's weed on the floor. She's packing. It's horrific. She's crying. It's a very negative situation. Um, but I'm helping her. So I'm, you know, this is a helpful situation. I'm helping rather than looking at her impact on me or what she's done or, you know, you're trying to view it through the prism of what, what I can do for her, which again requires a bit of a lack of ego. I mean, even if it's your own mum, still hard to, be like, yeah, okay, I, 
I haven't slept for three days, but I can totally sort this out right now. But I'm helping. This is a helpful situation. This is a loving situation. It's not an annoying situation. So, yes, there's urine all over this carpet and I've got to mop it up and calm mum down and repack, unpack her suitcase and get her back into bed against her will because it'll take a lot of convincing. All of these things are awful. But uh, this is a loving situation and it's necessary. What else was I going to do that day? Not help her? You know, it's got to happen, right? Um, so anyway, yeah, adjectives. I've, I've started trying to pop them in front of situations, noises, distractions, arguments. Um, you know, and see, see how you go. I've, I find it's, it's, it's helping a lot. And if, if you, if you've got the time, don't just do an adjective. I would, yeah, meditate on the thing that's annoying you. You might transform something from an annoying noise into something that actually makes you happy because you're suddenly happy for these people. It's actually a form of, um, there's a meditation called the Metta, the Metta Bhavna, which is like where you, you generate loving kindness towards people. Normally you do it through thinking positive thoughts. Um, and, but if you're hearing a leaf blower or hammering, then if you meditate on the noise and what it, that everything means behind it and you wish well to the person and you're wishing them, aren't they lovely for doing these things? And suddenly you find yourself, you know, wishing positive thoughts towards this person. Um, so weirdly you've performed a meta, what's called the meta meditation through what was originally an annoying noise has now become an opportunity to generate goodwill towards someone. So, I mean, that's turning, that's not, that's really snatching victory from the, Jaws of defeat, isn't it? Also, um, it's sort of related to popping adjectives in front of things. I'll, I'll briefly mention it here. There's a chap called Robert Anton Wilson, um, who I think was a sort of a quantum physicist and something of a spiritual chap as well. Um, I think everyone calls him the grandfather, the daddy. I can't remember. Um, but check him out on YouTube, Robert Anton Wilson. He, he passed away some time ago, but there, there's great archival footage of his talks and stuff, but he, he talks about something called E prime, which I think is English prime. And he, he says that he, he increasingly towards the end of his life, um, or just to the latter half of his life was trying to write more and more books without using the word is. And if you take the word is out of the equation, suddenly you become less stressed and more sort of calm about everything. Cause it, he says, rather than saying the, you know, the grass over there is green. He, he says, the grass over there appears green to me. And so suddenly everything has like a less judgmental quality to it. Because in, in that um, leaf blower example, you know, it would be, you know, that, that leaf blower is noisy. You're saying that leaf blower appears noisy to me. And so you're giving the leaf blower an opportunity to not have this like stamp put on it. And immediately you put this judgment on it and immediately you're reacting to that judgment because that judgment is so certain. By having that kind of moment of um, ambiguity, you're just giving, uh, you're just putting yourself a, a little bit of cognitive distance between you and some sort of judgment or a reaction. Um, he talks about, um, you know, certainty being, you know, if everyone's just said, use the word maybe a lot more, we'd all be a lot more sane and have fewer arguments. And I can't help but wonder what he would make of Twitter now, where it was like, this is true. I'm right. You're a Nazi. <laughs> You're a cuck. You know, this appears to me to be this, so-and-so. So yeah, E prime. But I think that's... Um, you know, saying, asking what adjective can I put in front of that thing um, is a version of that because it's like, well, rather than rushing to say it is this, uh, well, maybe, but what other perceptions can I put in front of it? That's just one half, that's one part of my brain's reaction to it. But what, why don't I get a say? What, what can I, again, what can I inject into the proceedings here? If the most you can inject is a bit of uncertainty to your reactions, that's that's already a good step because it stops you getting pissed off all the time. Anyway, yeah, Robert Anton Wilson, an E prime, and avoiding using the word is. I might do a 
a longer podcast on that um, another time. But um, check him out if, if, if you can. Anyway, I'm going to stop there. Sorry, I got, got momentarily distracted before because I got a text message from Dad. Uh, it was labelled Dad. So apparently it was sent at quarter to two in the morning. Can you please send me $800? I'm at Woolworths and brought my old card by mistake. And then a fake account number. That is cheeky, isn't it? There are lots of people who'd read that. How, how did he enter himself into my phone? As, who, whoever this shyster con person is. How did they pre, how did they label themselves dad? I haven't entered them. They're not in my address book. That's very weird. Anyway, um, that's, that's pretty wild. Oh, well, good luck, comment. You didn't get me. Um, yeah, if, if any of you get a text message from someone called dad, um, check the number. That was, that's definitely not my dad. I know because uh, I set him on fire <laughs> several months ago. So if he's still managing to text, it's pretty remarkable. Um, <laughs> what gave it away? Um, the fact that <laughs> my dad is now scattered in the ocean. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure he's not sending texts. All right. Um, on that note, see, see, out of an ascent, out of a, an attempted con came laughter. There you go. What does that tell you about how we interpret what the universe is chucking at us? Everything's an opportunity for something positive, isn't it? Um, all right. Much love to you all. I hope you enjoyed this episode and, um, I haven't done a plug for Patreon for a while. Uh, so there is a Patreon. If you've enjoyed this, then please consider chucking a subscription there. I lowered all the tiers a few months ago just to make things a bit more equitable and I can't be bothered with tiers, really. I'm not going to offer you more if you pay me more. So just, <laughs> I've just made it very cheap and I'll offer you as little... Uh, um, the podcast, there you go. I make this. Anyway... Thanks for listening and uh, hope you have a lovely uh, day.